cuando era un niño. Someone in the crowd might have looked at me fail. With an evil eye, abuela called it ojo. Reached in the fridge and took out a wevel. Sign of the cross with the egg as a remedy. Rub it on my body to remove the bad energy. Pray out loud so we can all hear it. Egg underneath the bed to absorb the evil spirits. The wind blew, the house shook. I laid back with candles, the rosary, and the sage plant. Sana, sana, fixed vapor rub on my chest. Fell asleep and woke up in a puddle of sweat. Felt better after shaking the omen. Zone it, floated on the earth that I'm roaming. In the Americas, some call it folklore. Well, I broke the egg, now I'm free from all. And bloodline to, to the test. test when one is jealous of another success. Family, friends, associates, and neighbors can all result to bevel when chasing after paper. Friends and enemies, good and bad energy, mal de ojo, affecting culture, psychology. Bad vibes can damage you and your circle. Wrong intentions from so called friends can hurt you. Watch the life you're living, keep them at a distance. They'd rather see you missing than healthy and uplifted. So you get this chance in this life to make a difference. That surround you will affect conditions. Live in space positive. How I live, yes, I try to. Whether stormy, gray day or outside, sky blue. Work through the pain from the out and the inside. Embrace the joy and avoid the evil eye. Tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. You're tuning into Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Today we're focusing on the amazing work of the Tejano Center for Community Concerns that you might mistake for simply a charter school. However, they've pioneered a way to profoundly cultivate community cultural capital long-term, and it has delivered some really powerful results. Today, we'll be speaking with the president of the organization, Dr. Adriana Tamez, who's a very accomplished intellectual, and the director of housing, a friend of the show also, Rich Rodriguez. These are two individuals who are highly educated but really passionate about edifying our community, and we're really happy to get to share some time with them to give you some insights into how organizations can use their capacity to really change lives organic to our community. But you expect nothing less from our show. <laughs> so we're happy to provide that again. And speaking of community cultural capital, I want to thank our sound engineer and mixer, the brilliant Rodrigo Bravo, who seamlessly puts together our show. I also want to thank Leti Lopez for curating our music and Roxana Guzman for helping us get images to let people know what we are up to. And we really want to thank you for your support. If you do have time, we welcome you to go to kpft.org, click on the donation link, and make a donation in the name of Latino Politics and News. It goes to all the programming here at KPFT 90.1 FM. And we're really proud to be part of this institution that is not just dedicated to freedom of speech, but goes out of its way to make sure our community has a voice. This is Tony Diaz. Thank you so much for tuning in. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, oh. 
mi pasado Ahora no me digas que te vas de mi lado Yo nunca me había sentido así Esto que siento por ti Sin ti yo no puedo vivir Pero todo cambió Como el apocalipsis A la gente enterar algo de mi pasado Sabía que iba dejado Y de esto la bloqueado Qué fácil es juzgar Dicen que el que busca encuentra Pero hay que aceptar A las personas tal y como son Todo el mundo comete error Y yo no fui la excepción Pero a ti te prometo, baby, que cambie Que ya no soy el mismo y que me enamoré Dame una oportunidad Y te demuestro que esa vida Ya yo la dejé atrás Todo cambió de Estoy pendiente al reloj Todo mi tiempo es para ti Se siente sola en la casa Cuando te separas Si tú te vas Mi corazón que repara No sabes cuánto despacho Hay en el fondo de mi corazón Y he perdido hasta la razón Con más pruebas sin condición que a mi corazón le cuesta olvidarte No sé cómo haré para borrarte Más de un millón de besos me faltaron para darte Otro como yo dudo que a ti pueda amarte bebé. Y hacerte el amor como a ti te gusta Quitarte la ropa sin hacer preguntas Adentro de tu piel mi cuerpo se ajusta Lo hacemos que apela y eso te gusta, bebé Me juzgues por mi pasado, yo quiero estar a tu lado Darte lo que mereces, amarte como nunca nadie te ha amado Comprarle un castillo y cuando entres y lo veas por dentro Que te forrado de rosa desde el techo al pavimento Yo te veo y me entra algo que yo no te sé explicar Y si te vas por más que vengan otros no va a ser igual Porque eres tú mi mitad y si quieres la verdad Estaría contigo por el resto de la eternidad Es que si tú te vas yo no sé qué voy a pasar Eres solo tú a quien mi corazón quiere amar Pero todo cambió desde que te conocí Estoy pendiente al reloj Todo mi tiempo es para ti Se siente sola en la casa You are tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Happy New Year. We wanted to kick off 2021 in a big way by getting a recap on one of the most successful Latino organizations in Houston if not the region, we want to do a special focus on the Tejano Center for Community Concerns. So we're going to chat on air with two dear friends who happen to be geniuses, and we're really glad to get to talk with them on the air. We are joined by the president and CEO for the Tejano Center for Community Concerns, Dr. Adriana Tamez. Welcome to the airwaves. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, having us. Thank you. Really, really excited to get to talk to you. And also, newly appointed housing director for the Tejano, and also newly appointed housing director for the Tejano Center for Community Concerns, Rich Rodriguez. My friend, welcome to the show. How are you doing, Tony? Good to hear from you in the new year. Likewise. Of course, we're doing all of this remotely. <laughs> so we are adjusting to this new era. But that, I think, is the thesis for this show because the Tejano Center has really adapted, making sure that our community is catered to through education, doing incredible work during hard times 
and actually making sure that we avoid crises. We want to get there, but let's start off by appreciating the fact that right now on the airwaves at 100,000 watts, we have a think tank. So I have a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Rich, you have an advanced degree. Tell folks what your advanced degree is. Uh, I have an MBA. And you're all, also an accomplished <laughs> musician. <laughs> Tell folks about that. Yeah, 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 that's true. Um, yeah, I've worn many hats. I'm also a, a professional cellist. Um, as you know, we also have the art gallery with my cousin, uh, Jesse Rodriguez, which Tony's been a big fan of, I know. Exactly. And, of, uh, you know, in economic development and in housing. So it's all over the place. And Dr. Tamez, you have a PhD. Tell folks a little bit about your field of study. My doctorate is from the University of Texas at Austin uh, in education administration with a certification in superintendency. Um, and I also have a, my degrees, my minor, uh, sorry, my uh, bachelor's and my master's from the University of Houston uh, with a minor in Mexican-American studies. So that's, that's, um, that's my education. I also am a Milby buff. <laughs> and I also went to. I like to, and I went to. Austin me too. Me too. Yeah, and I went to Austin High School, so I'm half. I'm half Buffalo and half Mustang. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> no, I, I, that reveals that you're straight up from the barrio, from the I'm community. Straight up. <laughs> Both of you. <laughs> well, and also, I, I love that you've got that minor in Mexican American studies. You've been a huge supporter of our struggle for Mexican-American studies, and also a big champion of the arts. One of our first Libro Traficante underground libraries was there at yes. the Raul, one of the Raul Isgiri schools for success. So, uh, you know, you were both Absolutely. Chicana, Chicano pedigree from the community. But I really want our listeners to appreciate the fact that we've got someone with an MFA, someone with an MBA, someone with a PhD, we're broadcasting at 100,000 watts. This is the sort of intellectual capacity that our community possesses. But I appreciate you both because you could simply go off into the corporate world and make more capital. You've decided to invest your energy and all your talents in the community. Tell us a little bit about your educational trajectory because, Dr. Tamez, there's not enough PhDs out there. And... It's sometimes a struggle. So when did you first go on your path towards higher education? Again, I'm from Denver Harbor. I grew up in Denver Harbor. I'm originally, my family comes from Monterrey, Mexico. Eso, uh, so Monterrey. I'm, yeah, so I'm first generation uh, American. And um, my parents always instilled in us from, from a very young age uh, education and uh, and the importance of education and, and you know, always uh, asking and, and making sure we understood how hard they were both working. Both of my parents worked outside the home to make ends meet and um, to make sure that we understood that we had to get an education and we had to make sure that in the end we, um, you know, our lives were um, better uh, than than theirs in terms of just the suffering, obviously, that, that low-income families that, you know, I lived through uh, experienced. And so I, I, growing up, it, it, it was understood that, you know, we were going to graduate from, from high school and we were going to go to college. It's just something that's ingrained in you and that, that you'll do. And so it's just it's something that I nev that never wavered in, in myself. And I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I always knew that. And I always knew that I wanted to give back. So, you know, education is just something that I always felt like um, we all do, those of us on the call, and I'm sure many who are listening, that, you know, in order to empower communities, education must be at the forefront in, in, in everything that we do. So, you know, getting my uh, high school diploma, going to the University of Houston, I was a banker for several years, but, but you know, went to school here and there and made sure that I, you know, got my teaching degree and, 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 and you know, doing now what, what I love. And Eventually, as well, one of my goals was to obtain my, my doctorate, and I knew that I, I wanted to accomplish that goal, and I set my sights on doing that. I never took out loans. I always worked full-time uh, for each of my degrees, for my, my bachelor's, for my master's, for my doctorate, worked full-time and, and paid as I, as I went. And so, um, and I'm glad I did that. Um, it's hard 
but you have to be committed and and um, and focused on on you know once you set a goal for yourself, and so it can be done. And I'm you know I stop and think and and just say wow you know I I did this. And when I mentor young women or young men, uh, young women and men about you know their career tracks and their education, I always tell them my story because if if I could do it, they can do it. You know, and we have to make sure that we. We, we we share our stories with young people so that they know that, you know, in, you know, if we set a dream and a goal, it's doable and it's possible. Uh, but, you know, making sure that that our community and, and our young people and, you know, parents uh, in, in our schools and, and so forth understand the importance of making sure that we don't make higher education optional. Now, you've got kids that are going to go the, the academic route and you're going to have kids and young people that are going to go the um, the certification and workforce development route, either way. But you have to make sure that you receive an education. And, and I'm glad that I did, and I'm glad that my parents pushed me uh, to understand the importance of it. And I also grew up with wonderful mentors uh, when I was growing up and uh, and people who pushed me to, to excel and to, again, just set a bar high for myself and, and in turn now do that for others. Who, who are some of those mentors? And I'm sure they may be some of the women that will be on one of the murals that Rich is organizing to honor Chicana icons. Uh, can can <laughs> you give us a few of their names? So, there's so many. Uh, uh, Dorothy Karam. Oh, I mean, great uh, People who I've looked up to, uh, you know, growing up and, and just people that, I mean, I could go on and on and on uh, uh, mentioning because there's so many, uh, but... Um, yeah, those are those are a couple that I can think of. Uh, and again, I have more, Tony, but I, I'd rather <laughs> say that there are so many to name. Okay, <laughs> it, it, it's only a one-hour show, so <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have too many to name. But you, you name one, you got to name them all. <laughs> yeah, but, but but Dorothy Karam is 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 by far on the top of that list. You know, she's someone that I've always looked up to and has always um, offered me counsel and advice, and and she's just uh, amazing. And she's still mentoring doctor, folks right now. Doctor, doctor, doctor Ademas, yeah. to bring that uh, yeah. home. Yeah, mis disculpas, Dr. Karam. And she actually, you know, I don't know that she knows this, but I just I just always thought, wow, you know, I, I want to be a doctor somewhat, and someday wow. in education. And I, I, I want to follow in her footsteps. And so she was that person for me wow. in, in my, uh, my terminal degree, yes. That's beautiful. That's great for you to share that. I want you to yeah. share one more thing, too, because, of course, I've, I've known you as someone that really loves the community, someone that is an example of what it means to be a professional, to come through, to commit. And I respect the way that not only do you lead projects, but you're also a servant leader that's willing to do some of the grunt work. But I want people to appreciate the struggle. So when you were pursuing your PhD, tell me all the different things you had to balance to get through that because people need to appreciate that it is a challenge. You faced it. And if it gets intense, they can get through it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the hardest things I, 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 I ever, ever uh, had to do. Uh, but I stayed the course and you're absolutely right. I mean, I juggled uh, my full-time job. I was a regional superintendent, central region of, of Houston ISD. Now that's, a, uh, during not, that time. that's not just a full-time job. That yes, is... yes. I mean, we had, I had close to 60 schools, uh, 30,000 students. I was working with Dr. Saavedra, who I, I actually also uh, uh, thank uh, for um, believing in me and allowing me to pursue this this uh, this degree while I worked full time because we had to obviously uh, get um, you know letters of support and then your supervisor he was my supervisor uh, in agreement right because obviously uh, as well I had to travel to Austin once a week um, with uh, wow. with a small once a week so we'd go out you know, and spend the whole day in classes back to back and drive back uh, and get back <laughs> into Houston uh, late at night, midnight, two in the morning, and then wake up and be at, at the office by, you know, eight o'clock when you're, you know, all, so it was literally aye, aye, that. Aye. Yes. And it was, it was, it was the hardest thing, you know, but you have to literally take deep breaths and, and say, you know what, I, I can do it. I can do this. 
but it, it is it is hard. And, uh, and, and I don't say that to scare people away, but just to make sure that people understand that it's not easy and that you need to lean on um, on uh, colleagues and 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 mentors and and people that that you trust and that uh, will guide you and and keep you motivated, which is what I did a lot of, you know, calling people and talking to people and mm. and just making sure that you keep your spirits high because it's it's not for the faint of heart, uh, but is it is it something that that uh, you can do if you put your mind to it? Absolutely, absolutely. It's very doable. It just, you know, takes uh, a lot of um, commitment, uh, de- determination uh, to uh, to see yourself through a program like this. Well, I appreciate you but, being so frank about it because our listeners who have been through there will look at that nostalgically and, and remember all of those moments. And students who are tuning in and they may be having as equal amount of time struggling through their associate's degree. I want them to pause, reflect on it and understand that it's hard, but you can do it. And as you pointed out, you know, you did it, we did it. Es un sacrificio, pero vale la pena, sin duda. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what, that's what when, when students leave and we'll talk a little bit later about Tejano Center and our programs, but we have some schools and, we're always telling students as they're leaving us is that, you know, your next step is your, whether it's your certification for workforce or your associates, but, you know, that bachelor's, that master's, that, you know, your, your doctorate, there's no reason for you not to, to, to go as far as you wish. So you're absolutely correct. Vale la pena. And I want also to point, point out too, that we're talking to Richard too, because he's bringing an MBA into the mix. Of course, we hang out with a lot of folks in the arts and and education. And we're excited. And we're excited to have uh, uh, Richard on, 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 uh, on our team. Uh, He brings a wealth of knowledge and, and has just fit right in. So absolutely. We're excited uh, that he's come on board and, and I'm impressed also with the level of education that he possesses and the experience that he brings to the table. That's great well, too. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what what pushed you to get your MBA? Because you've got an extensive professional experience working on such obscure things as TERS, <laughs> for example. Right. Which uh, you can give people what that acronym means in a little bit. Yeah. But you also have have had this interest in the arts. So what pushed you to get that MBA? Well, honestly, you know, to, all of my college, uh, while I was in the military, I was fortunate enough uh, at that time, it was, tuition assistance was 100%, you know, in the Air Force. Um, I'm the first in my family to not only have a college degree, but also have a graduate degree, you know. So it, also growing up from the hood, you know, I'm from Magnolia Park. I grew up in, born and raised in Magnolia Park, went to the military. Another shout out to Magnolia. Got, all right. That's right. <laughs> got, my, uh, got my education. Um, a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was getting out of the military after, you know, 12 years of service. My kids were getting older, not understanding really or knowing their 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 roots or their family, being a part of North Dakota for most of the time and some time in New York. Um, then I decided if I get out, I better do something general or something I can get a job in. And I got out in 2008, which was actually the worst time to get out, you know, mm. when the stock market had crashed. But... Um, I wanted to do business, and, and while I was in the military, I actually started a business. I was at a violin shop, and I was renting out to over 100 renters. I bought, I commissioned over 100, and I was renting them out to people not only on the base, but in the local town, and I was a member of the symphony there, too. So business started to become something I was very uh, keen on, and I said, why not get an MBA? So that's what I pursued. And I want to point out that you've donated several violins to some nonprofits. Yep. Tell folks about that. Yeah, so when I got out, of course, I had 100 violins in tow, right? And, <laughs> uh, my wife being fed up with violins under the bed and in the closets <laughs> and everywhere else. Uh, so what are you going to do with these things? So I said, you know, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's find a good place for them. And, and one of the things I always wanted to give back to my local community was the fact that I always credited music for my mm. advent, you know, getting ahead in life, if you would, if it kept me away from the bad elements. And I think there's certain cognitive benefits, obviously, to learning music, especially when you're younger. So, but then the Lario never had any string programs, you know, we didn't have violin programs or especially not the cello. So that's one of the things I wanted to help uh, correct. So 
when I got out, I donated 45 violins to um, uh, to the Baker Ripley uh, Center where they started a violin program for eight-year-olds and up. And I did that one year. Then I followed it up uh, the following year with a donation of about 38, 39 violins to uh, TBH, where I you know, sat on the board for a little while there. And we started a violin program there as well. That's fantastic. And at the same time as we're firing people up about pride in our community, the, the other message we need to send is that sometimes parents are concerned that, well, my son wants to study arts, but it's not a practical field. I want it to be clear that we're about to talk about an institution that is benefiting and growing from folks that believe in their history, believe in their community, believe in the arts, and that fuels their commitment to the community, but also helps them really appreciate how policies can really benefit our community. And I'd like to segue now to talk about the Tejano Center, mostly as an example of how it edifies our community cultural capital. I do want to focus on the origins of the Tejano Center for Community Concerns because it's doing such incredible work in a very unique way. I also want to point out to folks that they may not realize it, Dr. Tamez, but you're one of the founders and not enough people know that. So if I was on the board, I would demand to build a statue to you. Okay. So... <laughs> Thank you, Terry. <laughs> you know, on behalf of all the all the Chicanas who defer to others and don't take the spotlight, you know, not just for you, it's for all of them. <laughs> My fist up saying she's a blender. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, yeah, you made me blush there. What? It's it's radio. No one can see you blush. So stay. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> well, the Tejano Center, uh, uh, Tony, and to all listening, was established in 1992, and at that point, it was uh, housed. Uh, the, the first center was in Denver Harbor on Brownwood Street. And um, it started off with a housing program. That's where the housing program came to life. And uh, Tejano Center in the very beginning began to build affordable houses, single family homes. And so that was in 92. Now, uh, in 2000, uh, 2021, we are pretty much serving uh, across Harris County. Wow. And uh, we have nine programs with affordable housing being uh, uh, one of them. We've got the schools in Houston and in Brownsville, uh, the Raul Isaguirre Schools for Success, RICE, R-Y-S-S is what we go by. And um, we're looking to expand the schools. Uh, those, our schools are predominantly um, um, bilingual, uh, English, as, English as a second language students, over 50% of our kids uh, come to us as either recent of arrivals or limited English proficiency. Um, and um, so, and we've got also a, um, a growing population of uh, special education children. But we have very we have success with, with our students, and so we're very proud of that. We also have a teen clinic, which is a community teen clinic uh, with Baylor College of Medicine, uh, and a child placement agency and foster home certification program that we're very proud of. We um, take children from uh, ch Child Protective Services and we place them in foster homes that we certify. Wow. A very program uh, that we uh, have and that we're very proud of. And so if we have anyone out there uh, that is interested in being a foster parent, uh, love for them to contact us. We're always looking for great homes. Again, it's a very, very uh, strict program uh, because we wanna make sure that children are safe uh, when we place them. We have an early Head Start childhood education program uh, zero to two, we work with pregnant mommies and uh, mommies and their babies. It's not a daycare. It's uh, teaching pregnant mommies and mommies and their babies or daddies and their babies uh, pre-literacy skills. Which is brilliant. Music, it, it is. And we, then we have a three- to four-year-old program in collaboration this year with Gulf Coast. Uh, we have a family and community engagement department, ANOVA Academy in collaboration with HCC uh, for adult education, uh, our Nueva Vida Senior Living Apartments, um, our, um, and our Victims of uh, Crime Acts uh, Outreach and Support Program, we call VOCA. So we work with uh, victims of violence, and we have shelters as well. So we shelter uh, victims that are running away from their abuser, sex trafficking victims, uh, uh, across the, the, the board, and, and any, anyone who has experienced some sort of violence uh, is part of this program. Uh, so we have various programs, and it's all 
it all revolves around education if you think about it whether it's our senior citizens playing a role in our in our uh, early head start programs or our middle or elementary or high schools uh, or helping with the foster care program or we're working with parents adults you name it it all revolves around education tony so um, just very proud about the work that we've done in the last few years especially now um, and, and even throughout, throughout uh, during any disaster that, that uh, has come our way, Tejano Center stands ready and, uh, to, to assist uh, our community uh, to building back up and to making sure that we weather uh, whatever storm comes our way, uh, COVID at this time. Uh, maybe we can talk to that if you'd like a, a little bit later uh, because I'm really proud of, of, of the work we've done in the community um, you know, for the last year as far as COVID is concerned, but as far as who we are as a center, we are a nonprofit community-based organization and uh, we are expanding, meaning that we have pretty much outgrown our space. Oh, wow. Yes, we are, Tony. We're really excited, actually. We just received a, uh, we were just designated as a Comcast lift zone. So we um, have a space that we rented uh, a few blocks away from us here on Broadway Street between 610 and, and uh, 45. And uh, that's going to serve as our space for um, our um, child placement agency, uh, our VOCA program, and possibly our housing, our affordable housing program, because again, we're just, we're out of space. But we have this large area on the first floor that will be, all, that will be our, our lift zone. And that is free internet, for, um, and, and the use of laptops uh, for those who will come in, sort of like a ca- internet cafe, Tony, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so if students need to come in to do their homework, they're going to have access to that uh, after, after in the afternoons. Or if a high school student wants to recover high school credit, now more than ever, high school seniors and just high school students need to recover credits, especially with what we've been through uh, this last year. And so we're setting up ourselves so that we also open up some credit recovery centers, and that'll be one. So I'm really proud of, of uh, this new Comcast uh, Livestone Center that is now uh, program number 10 on our list. So wow. uh, plan to build that up. And so we're really excited uh, to both Comcast and Telemundo. Telemundo just donated also 100 uh, laptops. So wow. it just I, I like saying that because it really makes a difference when we're working to close that digital divide um and so with the help of many partners that have come through for us uh we're getting there you know we're getting to a point where each of our students will have uh their own computer to be able to work from either from home or from uh from school from the campus i do want to slowly get back to talk specifically about the raul isigiri schools for success as an educational uh approach but to do so without talking about the other programs, I think, would undermine this really smart approach to the community that is embodied by your, your organization. And here's just one example. I also don't want to limit it to wraparound services. I'm not knocking current institutions that are trying wraparound services. Mm-hmm. I think you're showing that your approach is profoundly embedded in the community Let's just talk about this. You know, I love that we might call it an internet cafe. Internet cafe is the luxury of the bourgeois, the bougie or the middle class. You know what I mean? You know, where they can just pull up, chill. Um, I'm sorry, but it's beautiful because right now, previous to COVID-19, I know family members who didn't have a computer who used to get in line at the library before it opened and there'd be a line of 10 people, and there's so often a line that you get your 15 minutes and you either get back in line or you're out of luck. Tell exactly. us tell us how you came upon the idea to create this space where our community members who are even more cut off now from internet access, online literacy, to have a place where they feel comfortable in their language, aren't humiliated, aren't chastised, and feel welcome. You know, it's it, we knew. I mean, it's 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 almost like you know that you know we've always known, even before COVID, that there's this digital divide, right? And then you try to do what you can with what you can. 
and sort of this COVID sent us all into overdrive in terms of, you know, you've, you've got to create these spaces. Now we have had a, a um, we have a library and we've always had a library open after hours with uh, computers and with internet access. So we've always kind of had that model, Tony. Um, and, and thanks to Comcast again, because they set that up and that was like, what, maybe eight years ago. And so our community has been able to come in and use the library, but it's limited, right? And so we always, and then when COVID hit, we thought, you know, we really need to um, expand this 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 uh, idea of these internet cafes or these, like you said, you know, you see these in certain places, right? And you're like, okay, you know, how, we need to do this. So we there was an office space that came open, and it had this it has this huge uh, reception area. I mean, big. Mm. And I thought, oh my God, this is perfect. Then there was a grant that came out for these lift zones with Comcast, and we applied and we got it. So it even it sped it up even more. So uh, and then Telemundo added the 100 laptops, which we're going to give out to families. Uh, but we're also looking for a different grant so that we can have like a cow there, which is a computer on wheels. You know that, right? Mm. Uh, it's a cow there with computers, so you could come in. Give us your license, and we'll let you borrow a laptop while you come in. That will be linked to a to a printer. You want to work on your resume or whatever wow. that may be. But the need is great. Mm-hmm. We've got to help people get jobs, redo their resumes, you know, rethink their career choices. Uh, a lot of our parents of our students and and even clients that come in who have lost their jobs, they have to rethink, you know, what it is that they're going to do for the rest of their lives. You know, if you will, when you grow mm-hmm. up, rather. What are you going to do? What am I going to be? And so there are choices out there. And so we're also wanting it to be sort of like a career center uh, where we have uh, we're looking at moving some of our folks in that in that in that area so that they have counselors and and career counselors and so forth to talk to. So we're looking at moving our college and career center in that area as well. Uh, So um, but that's how it came about, Tony. It's it's just that that we need to kind of uh, just rethink um, the way that, you know, that this, somebody had mentioned, well, let's go back to normal. Well, forget that there, you know, it's not, you know, forget that normal that you're talking about. There's a new normal, if you will, there's a, a whole new way of doing things that we've always known we had to do, but this has set us on overdrive. And, and so, um, it's just, uh, exciting. We're also, I just also wanted to throw in, it's uh, apart from this, um, the the live zone, but hopefully we hopefully we can we're going to you know hopefully replicate that. We're also building on the housing side, Tony. A um, if you don't mind, may I throw that in there? Please, okay. by all means. We, we we have a development um, right now uh, in progress. A residential facility for kids who are aging out of foster care or homeless youth, eighteen to thirty five. And so all of these programs will be uh, available to. Uh, the young people that will live in this complex of about 92 uh, apartments. So it'll have all of these services there. What we have, you mentioned earlier, wraparound services. We're the true, we're a true example of a community model, uh, mm. uh, which, which I know you're familiar with. I mean, we are a community school model, if you will, for the school piece. But overall, I mean, it is a community model that we have here, a community schools model, rather, where it all revolves around all of these services that are available, not only to the students and their families, but to every client that we have, uh, because now also our clients are wanting to enroll their students in our in our schools, and so um, having to expand that opportunity as well and make it available to our to our to our families is uh, what we're working on as well. And I, I do want to reiterate that the way it's it really can blossom is that. Here you've got this, let's just go back to your 10th program where you're helping the community stabilize. Because if you're in this upheaval, um, you know, you're going to have some schools that have lost track of, of families. Here's a great way for families to be engaged, feel confidence, come in, use the printer, etc. And as you said, um, regarding normal it shouldn't be normal for a community to be separated from this uh, internet world. And we actually need normal to end. Where that was normal is unacceptable. And all of our communities now, since it's been revealed by the COVID-19 epidemic, must be online 
feel at home and have a place to print out whatever they need to print out. So you've provided that. It shows how that goes Absolutely. back to the schools. As we sat there, we're thinking, wow, you know, it's something that we should have done a long time ago. It's like coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, when you really should uh, take inventory and say, okay, you know, are we set up for a, something like this where you would have to go completely online? We weren't then, but we are now, Tony. I can assure you that we are working hard and and uh, to make sure you're right, that, that we understand the importance of everyone in our community being connected. Great example for others to, to follow. I will remind folks that one of the programs that you mentioned has to do with uh, children in, in, or I'm sorry, young adults in foster homes. When they turn 18, they will no longer be subsidized by the state because if I understand it correctly, the state helps provide some funding to foster parents before then. After that, if I understand correctly, then the students must then go on their own, but they don't have the support network. It's powerful that you're providing housing and education for those youth who can then stabilize and continue education. Exactly. And then ultimately, the goal ultimately for us, I mean, it's so that we pay it forward, you know, and so we instill as much as possible in our clients and our students is that you know, we pay it forward, and, and once we reach a certain point or we're able to, that we we pay it forward. We help others, and we empower others. We mentor others, and that uh, that is also at the forefront, and I wanted to be sure to say that because it's important that we, that we do that. And I'm glad you're mentioning all the programs because, I, I, you know, I love your institution. I knew you had several programs. I didn't realize it had gotten up to 10, but I've always thought, the world of your school because your school is what percentage of your student population is latino pretty much 99 99 yeah. <laughs> and, and so 99% uh 56 close to 60 I need to go see our numbers for this year percent are lip limited english proficient wow wow and you've had and we're, we're and we do success. pretty well like, mm -hmm. compared to the state and all. We we do we do well uh, academically with uh, with our population. We you know take them where they are and we take them where they need to be, you know. And um, and so I'm proud of our work. But we have a lot of work to do. Um, obviously, we we all do across education. Um, you never reach the mountaintop, I guess, if you will, until every single student is uh, you know at level. But uh, but that is our population, Tony. Well, and I'm also impressed that you're taking on special education because that's been a criticism against some charter schools that they let special ed fall through the cracks. It's powerful that you're addressing that. And oh yeah, we have a we have a strong sped program. We have a resource center uh, uh, for them, but we also our goal is also to mainstream our students uh, with uh, you know the needed support for them. But yeah, we have strong sped programs here, so I'm proud of that. Now, let's talk about the COVID-19 issue. Uh, Richard, you mentioned that there was a recent grant that was helping the Tejano Center really support the community at this moment. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is actually a, a grant that uh, it's a new grant. We haven't actually started implementing it yet because there were some pieces that needed to be uh, finalized. But uh, in the near future, um, it's called the Emergency Services Grant. It's kind of part of the CARES Act. And uh, we will be able to uh, subsidize direct payments for rental and or mortgages. People who would otherwise be uh, potentially homeless. Homeless prevention is the wow. uh, the tenant of the grant. Um, naturally, there's some criteria of uh, you know income. You had to meet certain income requirements and other things. But it's a huge thing to be able to give directly back uh, to the community for people who are in immediate need of that kind of assistance. Now, some folks may be listening and wonder, well, how does that tie into education? I can see how it does. Dr. Thomas, break it down for us on how that program <laughs> does. <laughs> oh, my God, does it. Uh, so, you know, again, it just everything that we do, we, we have to make sure that, um, that, our, that our families, that uh, our community, that everyone has a roof over their heads and that people aren't being displaced. That, that education's not interrupted for our young people because being homeless 
will totally disrupt that that mm. education, that importance of education, and and the continuity of that, and consistency, and 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 so much more. So it's so very much uh, is is uh, is it contributes to uh, education and. In, in such a very important way. She hit that curveball right out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, God, yeah. How can you say that it's not? Absolutely it is. You know, just like just like everything from, from being healthy and meals. And, I mean, you know, it's all part of it. You know, we, we have to make sure our communities stay healthy so they can learn, you know. Uh, um, so it's, it's all tied in together. I have to do Absolutely. my... My MFA job here and throw in some literary references because you got everything from uh, Virginia Woolf, A Room of Her Own. You got uh, Hemingway talking about a well-lighted place and even Sandra Cisneros, House on Mango Street. All of those pieces of art speak to just the privilege of being able to have a place you call your home, you feel safe in, where you can think and write. And as you just pointed out, that's fundamental to successful education. Not, not that we can't do it without it, but what a wonderful, what a wonderful benefit to move that barrier from, from someone's uh, academic trajectory. So hats off to, to you for bringing that into the mix. The, you know, I wanted to bring something up cause you just talked about, you know, house on Mongo street and, and these other literary works, but, and it got me to think also one of the things we did that, that, you know, I've also encouraged other colleagues from other areas and schools to do is as we as we, as we went into into lockdown, if you will, back in in, April, in March with our kids, um, and and they were using their phones or whatever means or coming to pick up packets and all of that. And as more and more of our kids, through you know, as each month passed, passed, um, obtained technology uh, and and a laptop. One of the things we were missing uh, as we were, you know, we were we were seeing that a lot of kids weren't able to engage. And, and they really weren't learning. And so we were thinking, okay, the issue is they don't have an area in the home to uh, that's set up to study, mm. you, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with the proper light, with the comfort, with the... So what we began to do is we started going into all of our... We have several storage units. We started pulling all of this old furniture wow. uh, that had been stored for years. And you're talking, you know, those individual desks and stuff. We put them out. And and uh, and and uh, we had a drive, a, a drive-through, a, um, a school desk and chairs drive-through, and you should have wow. seen. Those. And so we didn't just open it up to anybody. It has to be everything has to be very purposeful, Tony. I think that even when we're giving out meals, everything has to be purposeful. So we we still we you know we went and said, okay, we have this many. Let's target this particular side of you know town and and these kids for sure all the kids in our schools that need it, okay? Because you have to make sure that it's the kids who need that space. So we surveyed, we did all of that. I mean, I think we gave out maybe two to 300 desks that were in storage. They were just sitting in storage. They were older. And the pictures that were sent to us from the families who set up a study area for their children, it just would make you want to cry. We were in tears because they even got them like a little lamp you know, that they, they kind of like makeshift lamp that they created. Wow. So yet they, they created a corner. Uh, it was just amazing because that space is very important, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to making sure that these kids are in an environment that's conducive to learning, even at, at home. It's not just about making that area uh, conducive for learning at school, but it's also at home. And so the powerful part of this, because we have parent meetings, once a month and they are all on zoom now and i mean we've got like boohoo's of parents i'd love for you to join us one day tony i would love to, uh, to so i would love to invite you you would Thank be you. like in awe yeah of of these parents that are signing on and boom and here goes another one i mean we've reached like two to three hundred parents and they get on and wow. uh and when they talk about how powerful it is for us to provide them with learning opportunities for mm. how to better help their children it's powerful so i get excited I, I get on a on a you know i just get to i keep going because i just get excited <laughs> when i talk about that um the, the work we do with our students and our clients when it comes to education and and, and meeting all of their needs so that in the end um we don't you know sway from that important piece uh, that uh, for all of us, not just young people, but just everyone, because learning never stops. 
But but that is beautiful. I'm so glad you shared that with our listeners because it is a very powerful way to edify a household, give dignity to learning. So so hats off to to what you do. In closing, if you stop now, <laughs> Tejano Center has accomplished more than, and I'm not going to embarrass every other institution by naming them, but so many institutions. Okay, you're setting this. Stellar example. I suspect that because you're all overachievers, you're not done. Because <laughs> cause you could you could pause and stop and no one would <laughs> no one could critique you. What else is in store for the Tejano Center as if you haven't done enough? Wow. We've got uh I'd love to show <laughs> you our strategic plan, you know? <laughs> ah, yeah. And our technology plan, because we have so much in store. But I do want Richard to talk a little bit about the um, the housing initiative that we have for building single family homes and and uh, providing more uh, you know apartment uh, living opportunities for senior citizens. So Richard, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I think that is at the forefront right now. Absolutely, and you know, you know me, Tony. Uh, my passion for this part of town and our community, mm-hmm. and one of the things that you you know a community lives lives or dies based on housing. You know. As you know, uh, parts of town, especially the East End, have been uh, gentrifying, and people that have traditionally have lived here are finding it harder and harder to be able to stay in the long-standing communities that uh, they've built. I mean, Magnolia Park, you know, was formed in 1911, 1909, excuse me, and one of the first Latino communities, especially with Second Ward and all the rest. Um, because of my commitment to that and to the area, especially what we're doing, doing with my cousin, when the opportunity came. Uh, to try to tr- to take over and uh, work with the existing housing team here, um, to for this housing de- uh, the housing department to build affordable housing, I just could not I couldn't pass it up. So I was thankful that Dr. Tamez uh, was able to select me to help uh, lead the charge and, and get it going out here. So our affordable housing program has several different layers to it. You know, there's been a long-standing housing counseling program here that's been just phenomenal, led by the staff that's here. Wow. They have a great team that we work with. There's lots of housing resources. They have a Nueva Vida, which is an, a senior complex, was built some time ago, which houses some of the senior community. But we're really excited this year uh, to get back into or get into the development game. Uh, in years past, uh, uh, Tahano Center uh, was some of the early board members were very a lot of foresight and they were doing a lot of land banking you know they bought a lot of land they built a lot of houses back, back over, in, in the early, over, over 200 yeah uh-huh. new new homes uh-huh. new homes wow. so there's been a little lapse in that so now we're um we're reinstituting that so we're going to be building single family homes um on those lots that were purchased uh, over the last 15 years or so we have currently have 40 in the inventory and we're looking to acquire more and continue to make this a revolving um uh, initiative within uh, the affordable housing program which is sorely needed as you can tell that's that's incredible and and of course another way to stabilize the community and all of that leads to education uh really wonderful to get to talk to both of you and get a glimpse because i know this is just a glimpse of what the tejano center for community concerns is doing because you're covering education and community from kindergarten to elderly (laughs) which is very impressive well it's actually tony Tony, it's actually from uh even before birth from zero to yes (laughs) i stand corrected Thank you. I love it. From zero to elderly. Yes. Yes. That Absolutely. Is, that is truly incredible. And on our terms, thinking about community first, we have been chatting with Dr. Thames, who is the president and CEO for the Tejano Center for Community Concerns, and Rich Rodriguez, who is housing director at the Tejano Center for Community Concerns. Thank you so much for taking the time and thank you both so much for all that you do for the community and continued success. Somewhere between Selena and a Missy misdemeanor, I'm a savage off tequila, tell a hater, suck my dick. It's the fucking mama cedar, hater, salt my margarita. You was talking on the net, so I got the homie to fuck your bitch. I'm a bitch. Even bigger when I does it. Mexican is you never know who the fuck my cousin. If it's friction, then it's friction. If it's static, here it buzzes. Someone round me, know somebody, no one know like the government. Who the fuck you gon' catch when it ain't no names, man?
attention. Find a John Doe, cause I Jose skipped him. Who the f you gon' blame when the day no fingerprints? And man, I told you no one speak no English. What the f's a sentence? Dicen que pa' donde voy, voy pa' arriba pa' donde más. Soy la f***ing mexicana, ain't no stopping, dale gas. Dale más, the law, go pa' atrás, f*** them all. I'm the f***ing, get your issue, type of like what you want. Se muere el mal gobierno por robar tanto dinero Chivales ratas, de males rapero Así que digo lo que quiero Esta va para mi barrio, va para mi rapa Por los que están en la cana Por una marca sembrada Por la misma policía Gente inocente sigue encerrada De un estilo inacaba Con mi línea su boca se traba Desde la semana pasada Traigo tu perra traumada Me quería tumbar pero no pasa Dime lo que quieres bromando yo Mira cómo elevo de nivel mi flow Para que me paremos a muerta Tengo un home run, bate a home Huele muy bien, se prendió mi Para mis homies en prisa Para mis guardos en el campo When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? When a tornado is tearing through town? Or a hurricane strikes? Or is the best time perhaps today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. And it's not always as simple as using your cell phone. That's why now is the time to take action. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. KPFT Houston.